Uh, welcome to the Backlog Journey Podcast. My name is Kevin, and I just wanted to welcome you into my podcast where we just talk about everything that I and uh, my friends are going through in terms of playing, reading, watching, anything that's in our backlog. And on today's show, we will be talking about X-Men Proteus Saga, which is Chris, a big Chris Claremont story. We figured that this is going to be, since it's Chris Claremont's 50th anniversary, where we wanted to cover a big story from him. Um, and I have my friend Jordan here, who's a big X-Men fan that um, is going to be talking about this along with me. So, hey, Jordan. Hey, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good. How are you, man? I'm doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. It's, you know, quarantine and all that good stuff. Yeah, that's all that fun fun stuff. But, but yeah, thank you very much for joining me. I know that we're both big X-Men fans and big uh, fans of Chris Claremont. So I figured, you know what, let's start, let's start things off with our Chris Claremont exploration with uh, this story that's not called Phoenix. <laughs> so, so thank you very much for joining me on this one. I'm glad you, I'm glad you welcomed me on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, so um, before we get into X-Men Proteus Saga, um, uh, we would just want to talk about what kind of what we're playing and reading or watching or anything like that. So what, what are you, what are you, have you been up to? Okay. Well, I've been mostly reading through uh, a variety of things. I uh, started reading the Marvel events from the 2000s in addition to the Claremont stuff. Oh, nice. So I just got done reading House of M again. Uh, for the first time in about 10 years and i've been doing a thing doing thing for that on my own blog we'll talk about it later i'll promote it later um getting ready for one division a little bit though it'll probably be a while for me to watch that show i still haven't got to it yet yeah i watched uh, the, i watched the first two episodes of that and yeah it's it's interesting it's uh i i do want to talk we'll probably do a podcast later on down the line when we all watch it and all the episodes are out but yeah it's a interesting show and like you mentioned in house of m it's uh it has some elements of like Wanda, like you could see them tapping into that part of Wanda's character in that yeah, show. That's uh, what I got from people who's doing early press for it. They, that's what they kept emphasizing. How Simon was a big deal. So I'm like, you know what? I'll reread House of M. I just got done reading Avengers Disassembled. So I was like, I'll read House of M. And I'm probably going to go through a bunch of Marvel events. But I just always find that stuff interesting. Uh, as for uh tv not much i've been working my way through the batman the animated series since it dropped on hbo max this past year uh currently got to the clock king episode today that was great i remember that one is classic actually no way we got to two-face and i forgot how great the two-face episode in that was how they presented him yeah the presentation for two-face in that is just like that's still the two-face that i think about even from the comic books like compared to the comic books and movies and all that it's just the Two-Face from the animated series is the one that I always just picture, and his origin is the one I have in my head whenever I read him or yeah, think, think about him. It's just so good. It's a definitive... Every, like the, uh, Batman the animated series has made like the definitive version for so many characters. Hmm. It's hard to see him in anything else in other media. Uh, movies... Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry. Oh, no. Trying, uh, no, no, no uh, movies, not, uh, movies, we've been working our way through the Star Wars stuff again. Always We, we watch those every now and then. And for video games, I just keep adding to my backlog because <laughs> uh, the Scott Pilgrim game dropped on on Switch. Bought that. Uh, I got Yoka Laylee, the 3D platformer one. The, I got that. I got that's Golf that, Story. That's that po- the ukulele is that Pokemon kind of. No, Yoka Laylee is the Banjo Kazooie like game. Oh, okay. I think it's of old. I think you have Yokai Watch. Yeah, <laughs> you're thinking of Yokai Watch. Now there's also Bugs Max. That's the other Pokemon yep. game. I haven't played that yet. Yeah, that's the uh, Pokemon. No, that's the Pokemon Snap game that came out for like the PS5 launch that I know. That, yeah, that's, that's I haven't tried weird. that one yet. Uh, but um, so yeah, I've been 
playing, been stocking up on games, but I haven't been playing through them as much. Uh, where I'm a teacher, schools just turned it back recently. So some things you can put feeding into the backlog, but I'll eventually go through and burn them through. And I still got a mess of games to clear out. Uh, what about yourself, Kevin? Yeah, so um, it's still pretty much like kind of like last week, what I mentioned in last week's podcast. I'm still making my way through Cobra Kai. I'm I'm still like midway of season one. Um, I didn't make too much progress this week just because life got in the way of like I couldn't really sit down and watch something um, without being distracted, um, especially since we got a lot of like future state and all that stuff that I've been busy working on trying to get make sure we're covering for the site. Um, but but yeah, um, so I'm still getting my way through Cobra Kai slowly but surely, um, but I have been able to dig more into like Horizon Zero Dawn for the PS4 um, because I want to try, I'm still going through my PS4 backlog of games that I just haven't played yet and Horizon's one of them. So I'm about now, I would say 14, 15 hours into the game. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, it's really up my alley. It's kind of, it has that Assassin's Creed thing of like not checking off the boxes of things to do throughout the map. Um, but it, uh, what I like about it compared to Assassin's Creed is that it's not as huge. The map isn't overwhelming because I feel like that that's a big thing of Assassin's Creed is that sometimes, especially like Origins and Odyssey, the map is so huge and so expansive that it, it's kind of intimidating to like want to do side quests. But at least with Horizon Zero Dawn, the map's small enough and there's like uh, it, there's enough things to do in terms of fighting all the different robots and all those types of robots that you got, you got to figure out as you're going through the game that it's not as intimidating and it doesn't feel overwhelming like some of the more recent Assassin's Creed games have. So I'm really enjoying that. Um, and I do want to talk, hopefully, once I finish it, um, I'll talk more about it on this podcast. And then I also just bought the... Mega Man X collection, both like one and two for the Switch. So I started playing that and I realized I do not have my platforming abilities that I had as a kid. I am terrible at that now. So, but I'm also realizing that I never played, actually played the first Mega Man X game too, because nothing I remember. And then when I was thinking about it and I was looking through, like, um, it made me want to go back and see how many of the Mega Man X games I, I have in my collection. So I dug, dug up my old nintendo and ps1 um and i saw that like i actually started playing Mega Man. now that i'm realizing it is x with x4 i never played the first three so See, going through I, what was uh, i was gonna say the uh Meg, i found the Mega Man x games to be a lot easier than the original Mega Man, Mega Man games because the x has a little more platforming abilities like the wall jump ability. yeah 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 that that, that is super helpful um i think it's just a faster paced game i, I prefer it gave me an option i prefer it to play x over the original yeah i think for me um yeah definitely the, the original Mega Man is definitely difficult even when i was a kid i remember like those were the ones that i just rage quit it's as the most out of any games that i played on the nintendo was the original ones um but the x games definitely are easier but I'm still finding it a little bit difficult of going, getting through the first one just because honestly, I just don't haven't played a platformers outside of Mario you know, in a good while. So going into like Mega Man, even Mega Man X is like, man, I got to rework my brain into um, getting into that mode of letting myself get hit because I, I, I usually don't like to get hit in platformers now, especially modern ones where they make it so that they, they give you a lot of room so that you can do near perfect runs more. In the modern games whereas like with older games it's kind of the purpose you, you like you should you, you should allow yourself to get here you're not going to go through a perfect run unless you're like insanely awesome at the game but they're like so I, i'm reworking my brain in terms of hey it's okay it's okay for myself to get hit i could just still go through it and use that uh 
um, invincibility that it gives you when, when you're hit. And so just reworking my brain of like, oh, I need to use that more to my advantage because I know I could get, figure out how to get, uh, fight the enemy so I could get um, extra health back later on anyways. So. Um, oh, yeah. A Nintendo uh, heart is a very much a real thing. Oh, yeah. So I think yeah, it's just. Be, you got to get used to it. I will say one thing I like about having the Switch collections because uh, I did this when I got the Sonic 2 on the Switch. I bought Sonic 2 on the Sonic Ages uh, edition. The rewind feature. Mm, yes. Yeah. Okay. I so, okay. People are going to go out here and say using the rewind feature is a cop out. I'm going to say these games were broken and messed up because they were trying to design you to basically not be able to beat it in a rental. And if you ever play Sonic 2, especially the final levels, you need to be able to rewind that stuff. Yeah. Because the Latin Metropolis Zone is cheap. It is nothing but cheap jumps and cheap deaths. Mm. Well, well it's, it's just like a lot of like the arcades that we grew up with and like going to the beat-em-ups because you mentioned Sc- the Scott Pilgrim game that just came out too. Like the beat-em-ups were... They're, they're they, quarter they were, munchers. The, yeah, exactly. That's all there were. So it's like... So even, like Scott, for- even Scott Pilgrim, like when you play Scott Pilgrim, that like the, that game, it has that. It has a lot of that, but there's things that it does like for modern, like modern day gaming of like, hey, we're going to be... We're going to do things that are going to help help with the game experience, so it doesn't beat you over the head of like you're going to die all the time, and it's going to do the quarter like quarter munching thing of, of old arcade games with beat 'em ups. So, um, yeah. but yeah, that, that's what I'm finding with like Mega Man X. It's just of, I think the big thing for me is just um, just reworking my brain because I already I, I was able to finish the first one um, after pounding my head over and over again of like oh yeah I got to figure out which enemies I got to fight and. I got to get over myself of like, I should look at a, I should look up a walkthrough of say, Hey, what is the enemy order? Just so I could have fun with it um, and enjoy, enjoy it. Cause I know I'm not, I'm not as good as I was a, as a kid in terms of these old school platformers. Cause we don't have the time, like we don't have the time to sit there for like three, four hours mastering th- those levels. Like we did as a kid, which is what I, w- I would do all the time with these games of like Mega Man, Mario, like even the old school Mario games or, or Castlevania and stuff like that. Spend like three, four hours of my day just figuring out this because this was the only game that we had. <laughs> so yeah, I played a uh, played Crash Three the pa- this past summer, and I learned that a lot. Which I've I've gotten to where I mastered Crash Three's me- uh, mechanics, but like I had all summer. Like my yeah. kids would let me. Like my sons would like, hey, let's play Crash. I'm like, okay, we'll play Crash. Yeah. So I sat there forever. Like I was doing stuff I haven't done as a kid, but I couldn't imagine doing that any other time. Yeah, exactly. Oh. It's because we used to like these games. These were our summer games. These were our games after school because this is literally all we had. This, we, you had the game that your parents bought you, and that's it. And you're hopefully yep. it, it was a good game that you you enjoyed. It, like sitting there for three four hours trying to master. But sometimes you the games you just didn't enjoy. Like, and but you you know what you're gonna make your own fun with the game. So, but yeah, yeah I had much like that. Uh, oh gosh, we can get to that all day, but let's talk about some Chris Caramon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. No, yeah, for yeah, but that's uh, just to wrap up. What, um, those are the two things that I've been playing. So, um, and then we're obviously today we're going to talk about um, a big Chris Claremont uh, story. So, um, but yeah, and th- that's a good segue into that of what we're going to be talking about is the X Men Proteus saga, which is um, one of the I would say bigger stories that uh, Chris Claremont told during his early run, like early run that um, in the seventies, like towards the end of the seventies, actually. So uh, leading into the dark, dark Phoenix saga, it's kind of that in between of the dark Phoenix saga and a Phoenix saga story. Um, but yeah, before we get into like all the background stuff of this, 
Uh, pretty good, uh, Chris Claremont story. Um, what is your experience reading this run um, for for the X Men? Uh, in general, Chris Claremont. Um, my first introduction to Chris Claremont was through those old Essentials, uh, Marvel Essential cl- trades they used to put up. There was these big black and white phone book editions. They were the cheapest way to get these stories. They were like fifteen to twenty bucks if you could find them at, at MSRP. And they would collect, you know, anywhere from 12 to 20 some issues. And that's where I first picked up Clarice Claremont was that. And the, it, it collected not just Clarice Claremont. It also connect, collected John Size X-Men number one, which is not Claremont. It's actually a uh, lame ween. Um, and the most up, up all the way until right before the Days of Future Past stuff started coming up, I believe is when it started shifting over. Because uh, you got to remember, like the early Claremont run, it's a bunch of his heavy hitters. Like the stuff you associate with Claremont all happens up in the 70s. Yeah. And then I think we were talking before the show, too, of that there's a large gap between like the Claremont, the 70s Claremont, and then the 80s Claremont. Like there, there's very yeah. much two different, there's two very, too much, two different eras of Claremont with the X Men. There, there's obviously stuff after the 80s that came out that is also a, a diff- totally different. Claremont writing and that includes like the, he's the stuff that he did with X-Men forever and the oh, uh, thousands but but yeah it's it's very interesting going back to reading this because even you could see his his style evolving because even um where his run starts with the X-Men is like I would say when the comic book industry like the writing style and uh is evolving as well going going away from the 60s style of narration to more of the eight, what we recognize from the eighties and nineties of like writing, where it's the 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 comic book writer being the narrator is going, kind of going away. Um, yeah, which Claremont's is probably the last. Claremont's probably the last one to be in the narrator. Like yeah. that's one of his signature styles. I think like he's probably the only he's probably the one writer holding down that fort as yeah. the disembodied narrator. We don't know who it is, like the omniscient narrator. The, um, another podcast out there calls it the, uh, the X Men. Uh, explain the X Men. Call it the Angry Claremontian narrator. Yeah, and he. I like that part of his style. It, it makes uh, best way to say it. it makes it enjoyable. Like it has some. Yeah, you know, there's always like it tells the story in a way. Especially if sometimes in this really compressed style. Because one thing you want to say about Claremont, it's very compressed compared mm-hmm. to modern comics. Like you can read one Claremont issue is like two or three of a regular issue these days it is dense and one thing about the proteus saga for instance it's actually got several layers of stories going on at once Mm -hmm. it's not just the proteus saga it's proteus saga also hey it's the prelude for dark phoenix yeah and at the same time yeah and then you're you're also dealing with a lot there's a lot of background stuff that you're dealing with of like you're still dealing with a lot of the x-men fallout from what their them formation because even with and we'll talk about this in a little bit of like of the giant size X-Men, even though that one took place like four, about four or five years before this one, they're still le- like, they're still learning to work with each other and they're still fallout from like a Magneto story. And then uh, there's stuff about them, what teamwork and like each character has their own arc that they're going through within this story. And yeah. It's very you, layered. So, so you're, you know? so, so, which is very interesting. Cause like you and myself, um, I think I probably have read about, third of chris claremont's run to if i'm being honest like if i'm remembering like like obviously the big ones of like the phoenix saga and the dark phoenix saga but like the protea this protea saga and why i picked it for us to talk about is that this was a story that 
I'd never actually read before before like the, until until now, and realizing until um and realizing how important th- these little things are, and then you're like, I think he, he does such a good job in terms of making every issue back issue matter as well bef- that leading up to this and making you like it makes you want to um, go back and read those those past issues to fi- find those hints because there's so many little hints that Chris Claremont like puts into his um into each story and then this one in particular that you're like wow this is oh my god this is where that one thing happened or you got you got that amazement of like wow that he was building so much up and he like he at least even though he didn't know how long his run would end would 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 go on or whatever he had enough like layered into each story that he's like oh i could pick this up later if i'm still on on the x-men and a lot of stuff so which is really fun about going back and reading it because obviously like i mentioned um or and you mentioned as well of there it is hard to go back and read read some of this uh older runs because they are have that narration they have different writing style compared to the modern like modern age so there is a little bit of disconnect in terms of this is so weird that how how often are you going to be is the writer going to be talking directly to you because i know like brian bendis does that sometimes and he does it in through the characters um talking to the reader but so it's very weird it, it's a it's a different thing of seeing the chris claremont and all these writers from this this era and talking directly to you as the narrator and talking to you of like this is what the character is feeling like he does that a lot with cyclops i think you mentioned you've been putting that posting that on your uh twitter a lot of like the emotions that cyclops goes through and all that stuff of like <laughs> um and that chris claremont would specifically say um but you get it with a lot of characters in, in this run so it's um it's interesting going back to read it because now, especially now that we have Marvel Unlimited available to us and they have so much of the X-Men running, um, I've been able to read more of this, that X-Men stuff that I just never read or was familiar with, um, which is good. Um, and it has, up, it, it's obvious ups and downs, but um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much my experience with Chris Claremont as well. Um, I want to add on to the uh, what you said about making the back issues matter reading this because i was like i haven't read the proteus story either this is like the one one of the major arcs my first experience was proteus was the x-men animated series and it was kind of like a footnote towards the end of this fourth season <laughs> yeah i just got done checking which one where it was in the season while you're saying because i was like did they do because they they did a pretty good job about trying to make everything fall in they did it after their their it looks like yeah they did it after after their uh, days of future past story they did the proteus story um, their adaptation of Proteus, but that was my first experience with Proteus, and now with the new modern uh, Age of X, you know Dawn of X and Hawksbox, yeah, that's where I see a lot more Proteus. Proteus is one of the five now, so he's kind of a big deal. Um, but yeah, I never actually read the original Proteus story, so I went back and as I was reading this, I was like, man, I really want to reread some back issues, and that's what actually spurned me on to go back and reread the start of claremont again i'm like this is i forget how good like his stuff is really good especially because if you read that last bit of x-men before claremont takes over oh yeah and and i think the way thomas era is not very good (laughs) i think this and like what len when going back to the giant size x-men um did such a good job of this era this whole period of x-men especially compared to like spider-man batman and all these is that x like chris claremont does such a good job of putting in all these little hints of like things that he that are going to be bigger deals later on you mean wolverine like, being an actual wolverine right 
But but yeah, we'll we'll talk <laughs> alluded to that one for a long time. <laughs> Nothing ever happened to it. That's probably a thread they probably best they left dead. But but yeah, or, or take a pickup in their upcoming X Men Legends run. Actually, no. Book. House of M should have had Wolverine when he remembered all his memories. Just remember him being a Wolverine burrowing in the forest. That would have been perfect. That would have sold everything. X Men Origins Wolverine would have just been him as Wolverine. But no, yeah, I like that about Claremont though. He's always seeding plot lines. Now are these plot lines going to go everywhere? Some don't. Some never pan out. Like the aforementioned Wolverine as a Wolverine. That's like one of the legendary ones, but. He sets stuff up all the time. He never, maybe not always follow through with it because he changes his mind. He gets bored or watches a new movie and decides to do something different. Because if one thing about Claremont is he wears his inspirations on his sleeve. Uh, that's one yeah. of the things about, I like about the Proteus saga, though. It doesn't feel like he's inspired and trying to reference something else compared to like the other stuff. Like early Phoenix saga, that was very much him doing a Star Trek. Yeah, and... Um, and I think that's a good segue into our background of just like exploring this of like because this it, this X Men Proteus saga takes place in Uncanny X Men one twenty five and one through one twenty eight, but with Proteus as a villain, he actually starts setting that up and like as early as Uncanny X Men one one oh four, which is like two three years before this story even takes place. And the the one mention of Proteus in the like Uncanny X Men one oh four was just like. There's this prison that Moira McTaggart has, like going on in, in War Island. Hopefully, I'm saying that right. I never, I feel like I never say that island's I name Muir. right. Muir, Muir, Muir That's Island. Like, the animated series calls it as, and I, I always use my animated series pronunciations. But yeah, it's, it's just Scottish. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's going into that of like Chris Claremont has like this off, like like in one panel, Moira mentioned like Mutant X. You have no idea of how important that's going to be because we get this story but it's like our the first mention and he just it's just a line in one of uncanny x-men 104 is like oh yeah there's this prison and there there's there's super dangerous mutant that's locked up that we have that's called mutant x and we eventually learn this mutant x character is proteus but it goes back to it of like chris claremont sows the seeds of this throughout his run of like bigger stories that you'll that will become big stories uh in, in probably like one or two three years or whatever because that's how much he has planned. Like he has probably planned out of like, hey, this is a character that we could hit on now for in terms of stories um, that I mentioned it a while back. And hey, I need I need a story here. Here's here's something that we could touch on. Um, so which is really interesting of of seeing how how far back he has things planned out. Um, because obviously th- this is um, the story takes place in nineteen like come, came out in nineteen seventy nine, which is um, about four years after. The Uncanny X Men reboot that you mentioned, um, with, that was rebooted by Lynn Wynn, um, yeah, with the giant size X Men. Um, so this is the team of the Cyclops, Storm, Wolverine, Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Banshee um, that still are still going on. And um, and for, for this uh, story, um, even though that Chris Claremont was hinting at it throughout um, for Uncanny 102-108, like directly after the Phoenix Saga. Um, even though he hinted at it, uh, he had a bunch of other stories. Like there's, I think we had like two clashes with Magneto that are super big. Yeah. That, that, um, that take up like that space of like why this story wasn't told earlier, because there was two big, pretty big uh, Magneto stories that went on after the Phoenix saga. Um, and one of the bigger ones was like the one that took place in 112 and 113, which was the X-Men, everybody believing the X-Men died. And also in that, like the X-Men, 
uh, of the that Cyclops, Storm, Wolverine, Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Banshee team, they all also thought Jean Grey and Beast died during that com- uh, conflict. So you had all these little things going on that in X-Men Proteus Saga, it kind of culminates in this. And you're like, who should, oh, wow, this is actually a pretty bigger storyline than, than you realize because it's a cul- also a culmination of a lot of um, subplots that uh, Chris Claremont had going on during that time. Yeah, I mean, he had in that whole time span. Not only does he have the Phoenix ends of Phoenix Saga, he has the first its first run of Magneto. The first time Claremont uses Magneto, and the first time Magneto's seen since set nineteen sixties, he introduces Mutant X as like a one-off panel. Literally, the last panel of the issue is like that's a story for another time. And it's like, okay, that's interesting. What's that going to be? Mutant X. That sounds cool. Uh, then he ends up having uh, a whole Carnival episode. That was a fun one where he has uh, Mesmer taking over the X-Men. Um, he has an arcade story where they arcade uh, uses a brainwashed uh, Colossus yeah. into thinking he's some kind of Russian... Strongman uh, po- or something. Yeah, right. Russian strongman. Uh, there's the a Sauron issue, another Magneto fight, like you mentioned, the big Magneto fight uh, that has lasting impact. Not only does it have the X-Men dead, it also has Banshee injured. Um, just, it's really bad. Stuff happens to them. And also, there's, he introduces Alpha Flight. Yeah, yeah. It's, Alpha it's Flight so, is introduced in this stretch. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting to see all these little things that are introduced, and then you realize that, and this is all leading into um, the Dark Phoenix Saga, which is like this is X Men Uncanny X Men Proteus Saga is actually a pretty big event because it is the prelude to what we see happen in Dark Phoenix Saga because it, it's starting with that that whatever started in the Phoenix Saga back. Back before, um, like, what was it? Uncanny X-Men 100 or something like that? Uh, uh, Phoenix Saga was X-Men. I'm pulling it up right now. It's I believe it's actually X-Men 99s. When 99? They shuttle. Yeah. Because so, uh, so, it's in that same frame. Uh, so this, but, yeah. This, this, this is... Seeing, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, yeah. What I was going to say was that, yeah, and you could see how basically from the original Phoenix Saga up to the uh, Dark Phoenix Saga, he had a lot of things in play, um, but... He had to figure out a kind of. Uh, he, it almost feels like he had to figure out a way to kind of pay, start paying off a lot of stuff before the Dark Phoenix Saga even began. So, which is where the, this Proteus Saga really comes in, and it's really important because it it culminates a lot of those storylines that he was uh, setting up in terms of the Dead X Men, in terms of more where more Tiger was going with with her uh, with everything with More Island, um, and. Um, and so, and he wanted to get that, get to that before he got to the even bigger story that the X Men are known for, which is the Dark Phoenix Saga. Uh, yeah. And and it and it sets up, it even sets up Jean Grey in the story, uh, and which we'll get into of like, hey, Jean Grey, this is what's going on with her powers, and it explores a lot of stuff that her is going like it literally starts with her problems with her Phoenix powers, like her trying to control it. With um, so it's very interesting to just see how even before like those big storylines that you think, oh, this this is the culmination of what everything that Claremont was building. He also had these other bigger stories that even before the Dark Phoenix, he was also culminating to. Yeah. So. Um, first off, I just made sure it's X-Men 101. That's when the Phoenix shows up. Um, one thing's interesting here is it, it starts reintroducing the Phoenix because at this point, after the Phoenix saga, the Phoenix kind of goes away for a while mm-hmm. by saying there was a circuit breaker. So that's why if you look at the first issue in the Proteus Saga, it's got the big old Phoenix on this cover. It's massive. It's huge. You're like, my gosh, what's going on with the Phoenix? 
And it's like, okay, we're in it for something serious here. The Phoenix is back and she's testing her strength. And we'll get into more into that in a minute. But yeah, the first cover of the saga is not about Proteus. It doesn't, it says something about Mutant X. Uh, another thing to say anything about Mutant X, it just shows this gigantic Phoenix on the cover. And you know right away you're about to enter something big. So yeah. I found this story to be really good. I, what's interesting is a lot of this will end up being retconned. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, which we'll, we'll which which we'll get into because even like stuff like um, against House, of, House of, wishes. Yeah, even House even House of X and Powers of X, which we'll t- we could talk about after our. Oh yeah, we'll definitely talk about that because that brings uh, up a whole lot of ethical issues with Mora Mora Taggart and yeah, and their son. Oh, we, we, but but anyways, but yeah, it's it's super interesting just because again, even Moira McTaggart, who really like during this time too is a uh, kind of more minor character, like more minor supporting mm-hmm. character. Um, this one like puts her in the spotlight for like in a big way of like, we're actually exploring her family history for what feels like the really the first time, which was always teased about, like finding more about Moira McTaggart that Chris Claremont was developing. Like it always seemed like he was developing something huge with Moira. And now we're seeing what his plans were, were for her character. So, and like, I recently reread her first appearance. She's brought in like a housekeeper mm -hmm. at first, but it's like, there's more here because it's uh, this time the X-Men are still very secretive of their powers. And they're like, why are you bringing in somebody that we don't know and telling them all of our secrets? And mm-hmm. like, no, trust me. We know about Mora, which that does end up speaking more about what we learned about in House of X powers of 10. The Hawksbox world, because that really shows the more McTaggart stuff really starts making more sense. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, and it's just one of those things of like, hey, well, let's see if find let's find out more about this minor character because it's just going back to what Chris Claremont did such a good job of. Like, he's always going to hit these characters that he introduces. He introduces with a purpose that he mm-hmm. will get down as long as he's still writing the X Men. He'll get to like you, you always feel you, you 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 always feel that even if whether it, whether those stories are get retconned later on, whatever he doesn't know that eventually. But he and end up at the end of the moment, he's just like, hey, let me introduce this character like Moira McTaggart that. I could do something big, bigger later down the line, and let me sow these seeds um, that eventually become the Proteus Saga. Of hey, this will be a cool thing to do as long as I'm still on this book, as long as I'm still writing these characters that will be able to hit this story that feels like a big event on its own as well. Like it feel this is this story feels with the stuff that goes on, it feels like there's big things that like it, it could have been a big event if if it wanted to as well. So. Um, which that also let's just get into it really of what the X-Men Proteus saga is about. So this, this is a, like I mentioned before, it takes place in Uncanny X-Men 125 and 120 through 128. And it's written by Chris Claremont with art by uh, John Burns. Um, and so John Burns run. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so basically we open up with uh, Moira McTaggart helping Jean Grey uh, testing out her Phoenix powers that, um, feel is she like Jean Grey feels like something's going on with her powers. She wants to test them out, and she goes to Moira McTaggart to um, help her. Um, something happens um, on Moore Island where there's a um, a attack that takes place. That so Moira McTaggart calls the X Men to help them out because she knows that they're alive. And during that time, the X Men also learn, hey, Beast is alive, Jean Grey is alive. These are big things because they had a clash with Magneto earlier on that made them believe that. Those those two were were dead. So so you had that of like early on where they discover, wow, our friends are still alive. So um, that goes on. And so, but once they get to Moore Island, the X Men get um, 
learn about Mortimer McTaggart's son, who become who turns out to be Proteus, um, and Proteus really hands them their hands them their ass basically of, uh, and just defeats them. They he embarrasses them um, basically of like to the point where they just feel they can't defeat him, and you you get that throughout and in that um, in the story of that their confidence is completely shot after fighting Proteus. They have to figure out if they could even work as a team to defeat him because he that's how bad he defeated them. So that's really what this story is all about. And um, and it's the lead in, into what we see of Dark Phoenix. So, but, um, but yeah, just going, I think we, we got into it a little bit of what our thoughts on it, but um, what did you think of overall this story of like just as a standalone? I think as a standalone, it works pretty well. Um, if you were just to read this plucked out, you might have a little bit of difficulty with the Phoenix, just maybe. But one thing about this, especially this era, they write in the stuff for any new reader who could pick up an issue on the stand. So everything's kind of briefly explained and you, you can follow along. Like, admittedly, it's been a long time. When I started reading this, it was a long time since I've read Claremont, especially early Claremont, been about five, 10 years. It's like, and I really, this is starting to that period where once it starts transitioning to the 80s, I'm a little rough with just because I just didn't have a lot of reading with it. And I felt like it worked pretty well as a standalone. And you, you feel the real legit threat of Proteus. Uh, but you also get this like weird thing going on. Like, you know, something's up with Gene. And one of the subtle things, I noticed this as I was reading, Gene's speech bubbles change. I don't know if you caught this. Early in the story, Gene speaks with a regular speech bubble like we would see in a regular comic book. But about halfway through the story, Gene starts speaking with this distorted bubble. Like the lines around it is like wavy. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this seems something's afoot here. And that's because um, while this is much as a Proteus story, and it does a really cool job with Proteus, and by the way, the effects, how they demonstrate Proteus's powers is really cool. The Jason Wintergaard stuff, Mastermind, like you know something's up there and it's it's wild like i i i'm like man cuz it makes me want to read the dark phoenix saga again cuz i'm like good grief yeah and this is and this is what's so cool about this story is that while it stands alone it also it gets you pumped up for what comes next cuz there's so many little hints that this proteus saga which on its own is a really big story um, but it, you're like throughout the thing. You, there's enough things with like what's going on with Jean Grey and what what's even going on with the X Men and their team chemistry that you're like, man, I don't know how their X Men are going to turn out as as we close. Even if even with the story that like we actually get like an ending that's just kind of almost a happy ending type type at the when, when things wrap up. But it's like oh, shucks, yeah. Colossus, good yeah. job. Yeah, there's <laughs> which is which is a weird thing. Like I think that was probably my only gripe is that it feels. Discon- a little bit disconnected with everything that we went through that the ending ends in like happy endings um but but outside of that it's just that you you feel like there's more going on and you're, you're constantly questioning what what comes next like there's so much things that little little character moments because you have these character moments of like the team chemistry in general with how cyclops has to manage the team and actually step up as a leader because he charles xavier is not really a, a big character in this it's the X-Men themselves, that team. Yeah, I don't remember what happened to Xavier in this point in the story. I think he's either, I think he's off in the Shi'ar Empire. Yeah, yeah. He is, he is, he is, because they do have him on the Shi'ar and he realizes Gene's still alive and they're like, oh, 
crap, we gotta go. Yeah, but because early in the story, he does have just a little brief offhand. Uh, he's busy being the royal consort. Yeah, for, and uh, Leandra, and you have that end of of this, and it's so it's really cool because one thing that makes the even though the X Men came up with um, around the, they are they came up around the time of the of Spider Man originally. You feel like these characters are much more adult characters, and they have to deal with like things as adults because they're all growing up and you feel in this story even that Cyclops specifically has to grow up as the leader because he doesn't have Gene like Jean Grey has her issues that she's dealing with so he can't really turn to her he also ha- he doesn't have Charles Xavier to turn to for advice it's really his this is him mm-hmm. this is like him as a leader what I have to do and it's I think that as a Cyclops fan in general it's just like really Same. cool really cool to see like how Cyclops even has to step up as like, I have, I don't have my father figure and there's stuff going on with my girlfriend that I can't really turn to her, her to be like, Hey, what should I do in this moment? He, it's just his natural instincts as a leader really needs to step up here and shine of like, Hey, I gotta be the adult. I can't just be the field leader. Like I usually am. I, there's more to, to what I have to do so that I can make the X-Men work. Cause they get their asses handed to them with Proteus. This is like super embarrassing, even though that, they have these big, uh, like fights with Magneto, with with the Shi'ar Empire, and all this stuff. What Proteus does to them is embarrassing. Like he, they, you could tell, like this is different. Like we're going just go back to the thread of Proteus, why Proteus is is really a cool villain. Is like the way they treat him. Of like the thing that he does to the X Men and how he defeats them is feels different like the x-men their confidence is just like shot when after their fight yeah so i want to bring up one because i know we have it in our notes here and i want to bring it up so wolverine is probably the most shell shock of the bunch give me an idea of what wolverine's gone through of course he's wolverine but the story arcs before this like when they were going to fighting dealing with the shiar gladiator threw him off the planet Mm -hmm. into orbit and came back down he got literally yeeted across the globe and he wasn't as shell shocked. He goes against Proteus. Proteus doesn't actually even hurt him physically. He messes with his mind because he distorts reality. And I mentioned the effects that John Byrne put together with this, how he has the literally the, like the perspective and everything, the panels shift. It gets really trippy for especially uh, this era of comics. The layouts get wild and everything. And when we see all this stuff happen to them from Proteus, you can feel like this is a big deal. The team is impacted, as you said. Uh, there's a scene where they're all around the campfire after they get their butts kicked. Like collectively, they're like just wrecked. Yeah. Um, and and so we got like three of the X Men are down because of that. Uh, Colossus was busy doing whatever. Uh, Cyclops got taken out by Marora Metagart because he was trying to offer son. And he didn't like that. And Gene just had a had a weird acid trip with based on by Jason Lingard, sorry, Wangard, thinking she was fox hunting for humans. Yeah, and, and it's such a it's it's, heavy. it's, it, it's a heavy thing when and when you see that um the X-Men they all like they all try and think and say that no, there's nothing wrong with us. And you have that classic team thing of like, even after a big defeat, they're still trying to act like they're the badasses there. We're still, we could still defeat them, but you could tell like from like the way that John Byrne draws it, the way Chris Claremont writes these characters during that, that campfire scene of uh, 
yeah, these guys, they're messed up after this. This experience was nothing like when they fought Magneto, when they fought Shi'ar, the Shi'ar Empire or any other mm-hmm. threat that they've come across. Like, this is, they there's me- things that they do, like Chris Claremont and John Byrne that's, do such a good job that of the subtle storytelling of each character of like, wow, these guys are mentally shot after this experience because, and they, and someone needs to do something. Someone needs to step up of getting them to recover and getting them back on the same page because they're not, even though they'll say, yeah, we're on the same page. Cause I think Storm and Wolverine specifically, they're, they're like, no, we, we got this. We, we still got this. We could do it. And they, they still try and act like they're pumped up to fight and they, that they want to go back out and fight Proteus. You could tell from the way that they, they're talking the way from the, the way they're, they're drawing that. No, they're, no, they're not. They, they can't go out there and fight. If they try and yeah. fight Proteus again, they're going to die. Like yeah, like uh, Proteus was nice to them of letting them survive, <laughs> and yeah, but, Proteus yeah. was like, I need, I, I don't want to kill them right now. I gotta go because he's about to, his husk was dying off. Uh, so at, at, like, there's one subtle thing I remember like they're sitting around the campfire, Wolverine's stuttering, like he's trying to drink a cup of hot chocolate or coffee, and he's just like shaking, like his cups just rocking, like it, you can see the art lines. He haven't shaken, and Cyclops decides to he's going to motivate him by a danger room session. Yeah, and, and Scotland. And he doesn't. And the thing that that's so cool about that, and that's probably my favorite. One of my one now that I'm reading it now, it's like one of my favorite just X Men moments because it's that moment where you finally see Cyclops just go into full leadership mode of like, like what I mentioned before of like he doesn't have Charles or Jean Grey to to turn to. This is just him. He realizes what the team needs in this moment, and what he he realizes what this team needs is they need a confidence boost. He, they need a danger room. Like they need to treat this like the danger room. They need to go through something to get out those emotions because they have so many pent up emotions that they, they don't even know that they like Storm, Wolverine, Nightcrawler. They don't know that they have these pent up emotions after this defeat that they suffer from Proteus, but they just need to release it. And it's Cyclops identifying it because he's such a great leader that he identifies this is what my team needs right now and. This is what I got to do, even if I don't tell him, because he doesn't tell them that they're going to the danger room session. He, he just does it. He, he's like, he just fights them. He, and you see him just take them on. Like, you don't. He takes on three of the X Men yeah. pretty handily. And he and and this goes into just like the storytelling of not just the writing, but also the artwork of like through the, through John Burns' art, you could tell like Cyclops understands who Storm, who Wolverine, who Nightcrawler are. He spends enough time with them. He knows how to fight them, how to talk to them, and how they'll react to him. Like fighting them that he uses that to his advantage and he's really like a great fighter like it like even with just using his powers how he chains his powers together with the other ones to take advantage of nightcrawler's teleportation so he could take out wolverine or take out storm and all like each of them he uses each of their powers to take out each other like as he's fighting them and it's he and but again it goes back to uh cyclops knew that he needed to do that in that moment because the X-Men need a confidence boost. Like, like they can't just go into it, charging back into the fight saying, yeah, we lost, but you know what? Let's go. Let's go. We got to fight them because this is what we are. We are superheroes. We got to continue fighting. We can't give up. But Cyclops understands, hey, we can't just go back out there. We, we need to get our minds right. We need to get, allow ourselves to say, hey, we suffered a huge loss and it's okay. It's not, we're not smaller people just because we suffered this uh, small, this huge defeat, as long as we accept this happened to us and we got to actually learn from this experience. What do what happened to us has to make us stronger. We cannot just be buried at those, these feelings within us. We have to let them out. And then that kind of, that gives more meaning to this danger room fight that they get into of, it means more than 
for each character of like releasing those emotions. And it's also a Cyclops fan just watching Cyclops walk the floor with all three of them. And it's just satisfying. <laughs> oh yeah. It, it's so, it's so satisfying because even before this, he, he like Cyclops, you could like the stories leading up to this, even you could see that he, his, like he's still getting used to this new team. Cause he's still thinking of like how the original X-Men were like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of like in the previous stories, like from the Phoenix saga on that he's still getting used to all these new faces. Like, even though he, he by this point, uh, what well, it, it's Chris Claremont into his about fourth year into his run. So Cyclops has been around these guys for, let's say about a year now at this point. Um, I think it's still, a little bit more than a year. Cause I think there's a time jump after the last oh, Magneto fight. Cause, oh, there's they, a, Cause there's a whole arc, the whole arcades uh, plot. It's got Cyclops is way long enough that he's actually starting to date again. Oh yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, he, stays, he goes on a date with Colleen Wing. Oh, oh yeah, you're right. Um, but yeah, so I think it's been about six months. But even then, you're still looking at in comics time. There's been two Christmases. Yeah, because yeah. the because uh, the story before the first Phoenix Saga is a Christmas story, the not the Sentinel story, and the story before the Proteus Saga starts. Well, a couple issues before Proteus. When the last time we see Proteus mentioned in one nineteen is a Christmas story. Yeah, so so you could say so it's you're like looking a, at two years. Yeah, so even in those two years, he's still he's still getting like like Chris Lemont wrote him as like he's still getting used to this these guys like these are all different people that he's not used to because he grew like when he was 15, 16 years old he had like four other people he grew up with and these aren't them. No, nope, like they're all, all they're all gone. They're like they're mostly adults. This, yeah, they're they're either gone like Ice Iceman and and Angel. They're off on their own. They're doing their whatever. And but and then and then he thought Beast and Jean Grey were dead before this story started. Um, and the Beast is mainly here part time. He's still an Avenger, I believe. Of this, yeah. he's only involved a little bit. Um, um but, the Beast but, is dead, and Beast comes back, and he goes, "Wait, you're still alive? Like, hey, that's great!" And they leave Beast behind because they couldn't wait longer. Yeah, but yeah, and it's just all these little things of that. Um, this is a big, I think this is a big moment for Cyclops of like finally understanding, hey, the, this is my team that I, I need to gel with them. Everybody needs to gel together. It's it's on us. We're by this point, like he, Chris Carmel kind of treats them in their 20s now. Uh, mm-hmm. We're adults. We got to stand on our own. We can't rely on our father figure to like lead us. Yeah. We can't wait around. We, we have to do this ourselves. Because if you read this early uh, Claremont issues where they're fighting uh, Count Nefario or any of them, Magneto, not Magneto, wrong, wrong mentor. Uh, Xavier will pop in occasionally and like, hey, Scott, you need to do this. And he goes, yes, professor, I should have done that. This one here is for, I don't know, I've looked through the little bit of a gap here, but this is one of the earliest examples of Cyclops is on a plane and he's giving the field command right there on the spot. He is not conferring with any other instructor, no mentor. He's just giving the spot. And it, I, I know just earlier in the podcast, I talked about I was reading House of M and stuff. And there's a bit in House of M where they're flying to Genosha. And he's like, okay, guys, we need to split into three teams. And the teams are all, all the people are just distraught because they're just mentally gone through everything. Because they just all of a sudden realized the whole life they were living was a lie. And he pulls them all together. And that stuff is starts being seen here in the Proteus Saga. Cyclops is an impeccable leader. And I don't think enough people give him credit for that. Yeah. Um, they People want to rag on Cyclops. He's getting more appreciated now. Uh, in recent years, but there was a time there where people were just ragging on him worse than anything because he's not a, like, oh, he's just a Boy Scout. He even makes fun of that in this story. But he is 
like the definitive Marvel leader. Like I think he's more got more leadership material than like Captain America mm-hmm. does. Like you put him on a team, he's the one who's going to start whipping everybody up. He's going to be the motivational speaker. He's going to get people fired up to go take on the threat. And he gets his team fired up to take on somebody who is literally destroying reality around them. And 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 that also just speaks to also just this team in general, the team chemistry of that we have right. here of everybody because they 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 do get all mad at Cyclops for doing this and putting them like like just fighting them for no reason because they feel like it's no not no reason. But then he, they they when Cyclops Explains. says, "Hey, the Cyclops is going to be honest with them. Hey, like I, you guys needed this. Like we needed like as a team, you needed to have this fight, uh, practice fight because we were all shot." And it just speaks to each like Cyclops, uh, Cyclops, Storms, Nightcrawler, Wolverine, them as treating them as actual adults of like, Hey, this happened. He did this like Cyclops put us to do this, but yeah, we actually had needed to go through this. And mm-hmm. so that, that way we could come back stronger against Proteus and overcome him later on. It just speaks to each, each member of this team's like character as just treating them as people and as adults of like, Oh yeah, we, you know what? We needed this. Like this isn't going to lead into like us all of a sudden just saying we're breaking up as a team because like, our leader just fought us and we're going to break up. Um, like we see so much now of like something like this would happen now and it would cause the team to split off into the, like two, two or three individual teams or oh, something. Geez, but, but yeah. in this, like Chris Claremont shows like, Hey, this is what we needed. And they all come actually come together and say, Hey, you know what? Our leader was actually right. Our leader was right. We need to be adults about this. We cannot be whining and crying. Like we're teenagers because we're not teenagers, we're adults. We've been doing this for a while now. We need to come together and defeat this threat because he handed our ass when we didn't know that he was a threat before. But now that we know, we got to figure out how to work together to defeat him. And and you get that of like Storm, Wolverine, and Nightcrawler um, each um, realize, hey, let's figure out how we could use our powers to actually fight him now that we know him know kind of have an idea of what kind of threat he is like what kind of powers he has let's let's use that to our advantage now of how do we use our powers to defeat him so which mm-hmm. i think is just like a a cool just in terms of like team chemistry thing of like hey you're, you're, these guys are coming into their own now like they don't like i said like we've been saying a lot is that they don't have charles xavier around to be um bossing them around so it, it this is the x-men this is just them and they have to re- figure out how we come together and defeat our whatever villain that we're up against, um, yeah. which is, I think, a, a great setup into leading into Dark Phoenix Saga because you have this confidence. Like, even though they, they get their confidence shot, you actually have a confidence boost by the end because they're, they feel even stronger as a team by the end that they could take on whatever threat on their own, which goes into Dark Phoenix Saga and let them yeah. go through there, which is kind of, you could kind of see how they needed to go through this. Like, they needed to go through this so that they could deal with the Dark Phoenix Saga and what comes from the, what, what that story will become. Yeah. So I want to bring in some stuff here. So it's, um, it's a very strong character for Sykes for cycle Psycho- Cyclops here, but also I think it's really, well, the storytelling itself, if you were to strip it away, it's very fundamental. We see, you know, we introduce the characters, we see they have the first conflict, they get their butts kicked, they're distraught, they get their motivation back and they struggle, but they end up overcoming and they get the big boost. And it does a really nice job of setting things up. It kind of reminds me of a sports movie in a weird way. You ever watch some sports movies where like the team loses really bad to the yeah. to team to the rival team, and they're just like awful. Then the coach ends up just harassing them. 
like in some really bad like one-on-one situations like you think you can do this you think you're all this and he's like yeah yeah and it just it works really well but i think you're right it doesn't this had to happen because one not only do you need the uh, the mastermind stuff with gene but it really sets the team up because this is when they, they really start coming to back one their first time back together back in the whole after the uh, magneto event because there's several there's about five or six issues where they think they're all dead, dead from each other Actually, about 11 issues. Yeah, there's like 11 issues. They think they're dead. Each other are dead. And uh, in comics time, that's probably about a matter of about five or six months. But so there's about a year's worth of comics between them that think they're dead. And they finally come back together, and that's great. We have a reunion. Not only do we have a reunion between them and the X-Men, we also get to see the other original X-Men from the, uh, you know, uh, Jack Kirby, Steve, uh, Stan Lee, Roy Thomas era. We see, you know, Havoc return. We see all them. It does a really good job of setting things up all before it gets destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Because Proteus, also, I think Proteus is a good threat to set things up for what's coming in the Dark Phoenix. Because Proteus is a reality warper, but he's not a reality warper and destroyer of worlds like Dark Phoenix, as we're going to learn. The Dark Phoenix is destruction incarnate. And it's going to take everything for the X-Men to defeat it. And there's a reason why the Phoenix is such a famous story. But I think this is interesting. Well, I always found it interesting about the Proteus story. It's overlooked. I don't think anybody ever talks about it as much as they do the Phoenix story. That yeah, and, story. and that's kind of the reason why, like, when I got to this story, I was like, oh, I need to talk. I need to talk to this and uh, talk about this in a podcast setting because I was like, I never read this before. Like, I, I honestly would say, like, Four, four months ago or something, I, I saw this and I was just like, wow, why did no one tell me to read this before? Why haven't I seen this talked about, or like Proteus Saga talked about more like, um, I get the Dark Phoenix and Phoenix, how huge they are, how how monumental they are for what the X-Men's popularity and everything. But this th- there's this story that like is not talked about. I'm just like, wow, this should be talked about more and more like with reverence of like, we talk about Phoenix and Dark Phoenix in that next tier of, of uh, X-Men stories, which I just find cool that you could do that with a villain that you, you wouldn't think that would have that sort of level of with Proteus, that he is a challenge. Like, I feel like no, nothing that I've seen the X-Men go up against in terms of how they treat, treat him. And they treat him like, hey, he is a huge threat. He's on that level of Magneto, of all I the think- other... I think he's actually more of a threat than Magneto, his powers. He's up there with Matt Ember to Ken when he's powered up by the uh, Shircon, uh, she, uh, the Mkron crystal. When he's merged with the Mkron crystal at the end of the Phoenix Saga, that's about the closest we get, I think, to this, Proteus. Yeah, and and, the, and this comes to like my question, my big question of this show is like, what do you think that this does for in terms of your understanding of Mortar McTaggart's character for... Because okay. the Prote- uh, because obviously we know well, and we could get into a more X and everything that would House of pa- House of X and Powers of X, but what do you think of like Moira McTaggart's story in the in, in this um, arc? Okay, so I was thinking that when I'm I don't know how I would have approached this story because I did not read this story until after reading House of X and Powers of Ten and knowing about Mora Mora X and the many lives of that she's lived and. Uh, it brings us some ethical questions because um, I wrote about this on my, on my own blog here about the whole the shadiness of the trio that's behind the House of X powers of 10 mm-hmm. 
the whole shadiness of Krakoa's trio. You know, you have Professor Xavier, you have Magneto, but you also have Mora. Mora. And Mora, I think, is probably the most questionable ethically. And we kind of see that here. Uh, first off, we get to see Mora wants to kill her son. <laughs> like, she is committed to killing her son. That's the story. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm going to kill him, and you're not going to stop me. And that's what she's about to do. And first off, we see Mora handle a gun. I think this is the first time we see her holding a gun. And like, where did she learn to shoot? Because she was introduced as a housemate. All of a sudden, she's now a, like an armor, like somebody militarized has military experience. We get kind of a, that kind of gets explained with House of X or Powers of Ten. It's a power. Yeah, what would both? They they are interchangeable. Like her. No, her, I think it's Powers, Powers of X. X. Power, Powers of Ten is the one that did all the time traveling stuff. Uh, or you House get, of X is the yeah. Yeah, sorry, but, but you get you, you, but you get you get more of a story throughout both, like uh, yeah. of how of how she acts with the X Men and the whole setup with Krakoa. Yeah, but but yeah, but it's, yeah, uh, it's so- I want to bring up the bigger ethic though. So, both Mora and Xavier have two children. They both have a child. Uh, their children are both reality warping mutants. They both have Proteus and they have Legion. It brings up a weird ethical dilemma. Mora and Charles both knew they need a reality warping mutant. Do you think they purposely had kids with individuals they did not care for that much in the prospects of trying to have a reality warping mutant son? son? Um, I, I honestly don't know because even like in this story, you kind of get the feeling that she's more terrified of this and she, because she's still like an outside, like in this story, at least she was an outsider. Um, and hopefully this is something that we get more explored in powers of X and or, or after now that we're into the, like the second phase of whatever powers of X and house of X setup. Um, maybe that might be right the case, X. but um, yeah. So we're, we're into that of what, what's going on with Krakoa now, but this story just kind of sets up that Moira is more than just like what you mentioned before of, She's not just a housemate that when she was first introduced, she is, there's a lot more to this character than you realize. And there's a lot darker, like a darker edge to her than we mm-hmm. even initially thought, thought, or like even the way she's treated in like the X-Men animated series, or even in the movies when she's introduced, she's kind of introduced as like this. Not, super I think nice she's character. more aligned with the movies. Yeah. And, movies, but she's, she's definitely a spy. She's a spy yeah. in the movies. But she's still like treated as a good person. There, yeah, well, not, she's, so she's like she's more like and here you start seeing that that's not really the case and when you when you look at it through that lens of what we know now of like house of x and powers of x you're like you know what this character is kind of ambiguous in terms of what what she does what what she's does and her entire history because like especially now that i'm going back and reading all this, this stuff you're like oh she's not actually the good person character that like that almost angelic type character that I just picture because of the X-Men animated series and stuff like that. She's just, she's not that she's more shades of gray. She's very, she's more like the Magnetos and Xavier's. Yeah. So, and which is like just an interesting setup because like now that we're, now that she has become even more of a major character, more, even though she's not, hasn't been focused on too much, we've learned so much about her through like what Jonathan Hickman has done. And you have this type of story of like with the Proteus saga where you're like, Wow, like what we're getting of Moira X now, this is kind of what's been leading to what what we're seeing. Like, there's mm-hmm. there's actually been a lot of hints to the Moira X character as a whole and how important she is, because she's done a lot of shady stuff in the 
in her past that isn't in the forefront like so many other stories, like other character stories that, that we see from the X-Men, but she has just like as many secrets and like dark, like things that she's hiding behind behind doors that once you open those up, you're like, holy shit. <laughs> you're like, wow, this is this character is not who you think she is when you are like think you're you know her. Yeah, so one thing I've noticed, this really also kind of gets weird. So so there is an issue with the Mora X, because it is a retcon. Um, Hickman's supposed to make a Mora X miniseries to mm-hmm. kind of explain how the retcon works. And I'm sure he'll have a bunch of flow charts and stuff that'll explain to us how this works. I love Hickman, but he loves his charts more than that. Um, but one thing I noticed, there was a line in it. She goes, uh, when I had Protea, when I had uh, Kevin as a child, you know, I loved him, but I saw what he was becoming, and I tried to help him. I tried to cure him. So one of the things that's interesting in Mora X, we see that she actually develops a cure for mutants. Yeah. And so that line gets a little weird because if for those that are uninitiated, the whole Mora X thing is she lives her full life, and once her mutant powers have manifested, and when she dies, she is re- basically starts back over in the womb with all of her memories and knowledge of everything she's done. So she's always had the head start. And we're currently on Mora's 10th life. Um, in her past life, she's done a variety of different things. Uh, one of them was she cured mutants. She found that she developed the cure of mutants, which got the attention of the mutant liberation front and mystique and destiny. And they kill her and stuff like that. Uh, another timeline, she becomes like a slave of apocalypse. Uh, it's, it's all crazy stuff. Yeah, she, she becomes like, she almost becomes like, a Black Widow style agent for Shield, uh, like yeah, going through just, and killing, killing all the important figures for uh, the, in the X Men history. Yeah, it's crazy how she does things. But what it means though is she's in her tenth life. That means she knows the cure for mutants. She knows what that cure is. She can make that cure, but she likes not to because she knows that she's terrified. But I think it's less of a terrified. And now looking at hindsight, we're trying to recon things here. Yeah. In hindsight, I think it's more of she's not terrified. He's out. She's terrified he's out before he, they're ready to use him. Yeah. Because he's like in a metal chamber where he's sustained with his energy. He's all he knows is a prison, but the prison keeps him alive. Because he's one thing about Proteus is he constantly needs a human host, another host body, or he will wear them out. His powers will cause the host to die. And they don't have a suitable solution for that yet. So he constantly is jumping pers- you know, p- person to person, leaving mummified, weathered husk behind. Uh, it is until House of X where they cr- start creating blank mutant bodies for him to start living in. But what's interesting is Mora knows the cure. If she really wanted to cure his son, her son, of this terrible disease, she would. But she doesn't. She willingly puts him in confinement because she knows this is the key. We need them because the, he ends up being one of the five, uh, the, the group of five mutants who all work together to do the. Uh, Basically, what's it called? The uh, it's a revitalization protocol. Yeah, it's like the resurrection protocol. Resurrection protocols. That's it. They do the resurrection protocols. And Proteus is a key part of that. He is the one that basically warps reality, and reality warper is essential for their plan. Now, I don't know. That's why she kept him from being cured because she willingly put her son in prison for ten years of his life and kept him in a cage because he wasn't ready yet. Like he's not done in the oven. Or, and the fact that she was willing to kill him, it really brings up Mora as uh, 
questionable to say the least yeah and i think that's such an it's an interesting position because you also have like what charles charles xavier and like magneto like they're more upfront with it because we don't get much of moira um right now in the current x-men run you, you have her here and there but she's more yeah, she's in the back. she's way way in the background right now but this story kind of hints that we could see like see more from her character as soon as Hickman decides to launch that, like Hickman and uh, Marvel decide to launch that Numora series, whenever hopefully this year, I think this year is their plan right now. Because I think like, the pandemic really threw things off because yeah. they still haven't yet to put their uh, that Children of the Atom story out, which is part of the, really big in their Hickman timeline stuff. Yeah, I think um, then I think the I think and Hickman has talked about this is uh, X Corp is I think the next story that the next series that he wants to launch after Children of Atoms comes out and a couple other thing, things that he's been cooking up. Um, which I think X Corp is going to be, even though I think it's uh, Emma Frost story mostly of what Emma Frost is specifically doing. I think Moira is probably going to be involved in that from what Hickman has said. Um, which they may be, end up folding her. I wonder if they'll fold her stuff in there. Yeah, which would, would be good because uh, because we haven't gotten much of her since House of X and Powers of X. And I do want to know more. And like this Proteus saga brings up that um, of just that she has so much of her history that we just haven't been tapped into we got glimpses of that through her 10 lives Mm -hmm. um but we don't know the full like her we we feel like we have the full story of her but we don't because like how you bring up that she does know the cure but she hasn't she doesn't hasn't used it there has to be a reason why and even in this story it brings that up of like she's she's tried to cure him before she didn't and she she couldn't but now we kind of have this framing of maybe she actually could have she could have cured her son but she chose not to. And which brings up even more questions of like, you bring up, uh, we have with Proteus, with Legion of, um, can hey, we bring they, up a- there, there's, there, there, there's these characters that we could have helped out. <laughs> like both Charles and Moira could have helped out their own kids lead better lives, but they chose not to. The alternative um, to being worse parents than Magneto. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I think that that is no, I, no argument here. Um, but yeah, it's just very interesting. I, I do want to know if like this Proteus saga, if we're going going to see this be brought back up into um, what is currently going on, because I feel like this would actually be a cool thing to for Hickman to bring up of like what happened at the, in this arc, of because you have so many interesting elements with Moira specifically. Does Proteus ever get brought up again after this until the uh, rebirth, till he becomes part of the Resurrection Protocol? Um, he's here and there, from what I. What uh, I was reading online, he never becomes as major a character um, as he does here. Um, but but yeah, it's going to be interesting if they bring it up because he is part, like you mentioned before, he's part of the five. Um, so so he is becoming a major character and he is popping up uh, with like, I think the five are part of X Factor right now and part of um, X Force and a couple other comic book, a couple other X Men comic books that you you see them pop up here and there. Um, so it would be interesting if Hickman and like all the other X Men writers, because all the other X Men writers are also tackling um, the five right now, um, and possibly bringing that into play of like, hey, there's there's this thing with Proteus that, especially now that we just went through the Swords of Ten event, um, that. And our resurrection protocol isn't working as well as it was before. Um, that they could play into what how Proteus powers work as well. So yeah, I think um, he would really work well in X Factor. 
of yeah. the current X-Men books. Because the main X-Men book is all about the Summers family, mostly, and the X-Men now that they're getting an election. But X-Factor does a lot well with that re- uh, the revitalization, the uh, resurrection protocols, and I think it would really work well there. Yeah. And so I think the writer's Leah Williams, I think it's her name. She did, I think she would do a real good job. Because uh, there's X- some... Tr- X-Factor, yeah, X-Factor is dealing with... Yeah, it's Leah Williams with that. I'm sorry, I sometimes confuse that with X-Force. <laughs> yeah, so I'm saying. I can't remember. Um, X-Force I think Leah and- Williams would do really well, well with that because she does a really good job writing the trauma of characters. And I feel like Proteus is probably one of the most traumatized characters. Yeah, and so I think it's it'll be interesting because, again, like we've been saying this entire show, is just there's so much that we don't know about Moira still, um, even though we do feel like we do. we do, um, And it'll be interesting if this type of, this and this uh, story arc and maybe others that we'll read eventually that are brought back up into play and we get a different angle from them of now that we have this Moira McTaggart that has lived 10 lives. So there's actually a different angle to everything we see with what happens in Proteus Saga and other things that, other classic uh, X-Men events that she's been part of. Uh, there's now this maybe she was still part of them like like we have we're reading here but they take on a different tone like even now we're, we're, we go back and read it we're reading it with the perspective of house of x powers of x moira x uh, mm-hmm. instead of like the moira front that chris claremont was writing which is, is like a cool thing to think about of like oh yeah hey you know what this character has evolved to a point now that we're seeing her a little bit differently and we could think about these different theories that it's not just chris claremont but Jonathan Hickman, Leah Williams, and all these other writers have done with her character. Yeah. So I think it'd be interesting really what they would do with him. I wonder if they will. I don't tell this opt to just let him be like this side character. Then again, who knows? I think he's got the, one of the more interesting stories. I'm not sure because uh, I haven't read all of House, all this stuff. Has they brought, I don't think Legion's been brought back yet, has he? Um, he's been mentioned from what I've read, but he's not been brought up as a major player at all in any of the books from what i'm remembering um because i'm wondering how that would how they would settle that yeah which could be brought back up to the whole cure thing too of like um that you could have saved it like of course david's problem wasn't was his powers is that he had trouble with multiple personality disorder yeah. fracturing his powers and yeah. that's what caused a lot of his issues uh david never actually had ill will towards his father he ended up killing his father, but that was not because he was trying to kill his father. He was trying to actually save him, like like the whole. He's trying to kill Magneto because yeah. he's like, my father's dream never can be realized without with Magneto, and he ended yeah. up killing Xavier and causing Age of Apocalypse. Yeah, so, um, um, but th- that's going to probably be like Age of Apocalypse will be its own thing that we'll probably tackle on and add a different. Yeah, that's episode. another whole. That's a whole other beast because that's going to take me a month or two to read. Yeah, uh, sure. Other things, I I wonder. This is a weird little side note. We brought up David. We brought up. Uh, Kevin, you know, Proteus and Legion. Uh, what I think is interesting is up until recently, Magneto also had a reality warping kid until they retconned him being his fa- her father. So that's interesting that all three of the major players at one point were considered parents of reality warpers. Yeah. And I wonder if they'll yeah. fix, I wonder if they're going to fix that Scarlet Witch issue. I, 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 I honestly do, especially with the X Men being brought back up into play with the MCU and everything. I think they'll probably. Retcon to retcon of, of retcon retcon retcons because yeah, oh exactly gosh. sorry but that I think, was... I, but I think I think they will be just because especially if they plan on making the uh, X Men a thing with the MCU which will be a bit it's a bigger discussion 
I think Scarlet Witch will be seen as one of those mutants and we'll find out, oh yeah, she and like even the MCU, maybe she was a mutant and her mutant genes were unlocked or something like that or whatever. Yeah. Which I is wonder. like it's a whole explanation for another day, but but it's I wonder just if gonna they're be... gonna retcon her. That's uh, um because she's only reading she was retcon because of the movies. Yeah, it's yeah, her and her and Quicksilver uh because there it will be it's just because the I think Scar there was I think Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver were very weird in terms of even though that they're originally from the X-Men franchise, they spent way more time in the Avengers franchise. So that made them a little bit more shady in terms of which one they actually belong to. So they can do both. And that was yeah. so bad. And so the Marvel called them miracles or something. Yeah. Because uh, I couldn't use the word mutants. But I think it's interesting. And they're hinting at they're wanting to do something with, with Wanda because she had the big part in the Empire storyline uh, with the whole resurrecting of Genosha on her own because she doesn't know about the mutation protocols. I wonder if they'll recon her back to be a mutant because that's there's something interesting about the three play, main players of the powers of X, you know the you know mm-hmm. Dawn of X world or whatever, and all three of them have reality warping children. Yeah, I think there was something there that they really could play with, and then there's also the other reality warper that got demutant recently by Dan Slott with Franklin Richards. It's just something interesting. Yeah, and I think you have you have a lot of interesting elements and in like the, and this X Men Protea saga. Um, story is just it, it kind of brings that up of like it's a cool story that we don't think about very often but nope. or like even it's, even brought up in our circle I feel like it's not even brought up in our circles and uh, except for Chris <laughs> Chris from uh, on Twitter brings yeah. up in time but actually uh, I heard it brought up I got I will admit I don't remember who said it they're the ones I read somewhere on Twitter or something somebody goes what is Proteus what is the whole uh, Dawn of X Mora X thing talk about Proteus that brings the whole Proteus saga and that's where I got the idea of that is weird that both, you know, all three of them at one point had reality warping children. Yeah. And they kind of needed that for their grand plan. Yeah. So it is an interesting thing. But no, I think what I liked about the Proteus saga was it established a villain who was a credible threat, but he's actually just, he was able to be taken care of, which is funny because his one weakness was metal and two of the members of the team were metal powered. Yeah. So like you kind of feel like if they could get a hand on him, they probably will win. Uh, but they felt good. It was it was a good story. It's it's tight. It was a top four issues, but it does a lot with messing with the mind. It's a very cerebral story because mm-hmm. they don't actually get physically harmed as much. But I mean, they were speculated he's actually causing hallucinations instead of reality warping. Now it's more reality warping um, because it's messing with the character's mind. So we have that going on. We also have the one the mastermind stuff going on and the B plot, all that stuff. It's all about messing with the person's mind and how it's really screwing with them. And I think it does a really good job with that. Yeah. And what's crazy in the next issue, they end up introducing Kitty Pride. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's a whole like, dark, and it, gets like a, dark, it starts rolling. Yeah. That dark, that goes into like, again, just going back to it of like this, yeah. this saga like, is the prelude to the dark Phoenix saga. And it is kind of also pay off to like what we see in the Phoenix saga and everything building up to this of like, so I, I find this story arc, even though it, it does act like, like I said, a prelude to Dark Phoenix, it stands on its own. It, it also works as like a in the greater scope of Chris Claremont's run, um, paying off stuff that he's been developing for like twenty something issues yeah. at, at this oh. point. And and so uh, I I greatly enjoy this of like just going back um, and reading this classic stuff that you're like, oh hey, there's a lot more to Chris Claremont's run than. The two stories that we know or like that everybody knows so um, yeah it's more than the phoenix stuff just before i know we're wrapping counting into we're wrapping things up i just happened to think of this though mm-hmm. it is interesting that they let scott become of his own because at this point claremont's starting to plan scott's removal from the team 
Yeah. Because shortly after the Phoenix Saga, he leaves and he stays off the team until 91. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and this is, uh, and this story does also, just going back to that, like, to the morale and saga, oddly enough. Yeah. That's what's called when he gets back. Of going, going into, of not, of growing these characters as adults now. Like they're not, they're not, they can't, even though at this point, like Wolverine's however old he is, Storm is an adult, like Storm is in her twenties, Nightcrawler's in his twenties, Cyclops is in his twenties as well. All these characters are starting to come into their own as not just individuals, but as a team. And we see that Mm -hmm. even when Cyclops leaves later on, the team still works together. Like this is, a, and and this story in general is just a great team building uh um saga for for them like now they are becoming the x-men that we that we know that they will become um that we all and so and it's just a cool thing to see them actually go on this huge storyline that with no charles xavier to back them up and they they end up finding a way to overcome it and you see they are coming into their own so that they don't need that father figure anymore that you could start seeing them growing away from that needing a mentor um, yeah, so. You see, Wes, you really bring it up that you brought up earlier that it's like everybody has their own little arcs. You can start seeing there. You you see why Claremont's doing this because it is setting up the end of end of what he planned for Cyclops. Yeah. And essentially, the last time he writes Cyclops, because I don't know exactly when he leaves after Dark Phoenix Saga, but he leaves like shortly after the results yeah. of Dark Phoenix. And he yeah he ends up joining like X Factor, but that's not him. That's uh, can't remember the first writer was, but mostly that's Louis Simons. Yeah. And Claremont has not much to do with him. Like yeah. he said, he was done. Yeah, and and it's just going into of like how the X Men start branching out into becoming the the popularity that we know that yeah, they, they they get and now they get to like you get these things that the characters are growing into the point where they could go off and get into a new series and you could launch more X Men titles yeah, with these new characters. Is about three years away from this book. Yeah. Uh, X Factor gets released about seven years, six or seven years yeah. after this book, Fuck. after this run, and we start getting into where we in the '91 we get the, you know, X Men on top, you know, yeah. adjectiveless X Men, and it's amazing how this book here, it's overlooked. I feel like it's might be underappreciated, but I think it's probably one of the. It's if you had to give a, a little microcosm of Claremont. That's not in the big story stuff. It isn't a Magneto story. It is not a Phoenix story, especially in that early run. I think this book, if I had to pick one like small arc to get somebody to read, had just a passing interest in X-Men, I think I would tell them, hey, you need to read the Proteus Saga. It's four issues. It's very tight storytelling. It tells you everything you need to know. And you get a really quick feel for the characters, and it gives you everything you want out of a Claremont story. Yeah, and I think I, I would I couldn't put it better myself. Um, and I think really that just brings us to the end of this. And ho- hopefully, uh, everybody goes out and reads this. Um, I, you can find this on Marvel Unlimited. That's how I read it. And Same I think right. that's how. It, um, and it, which is, I think it's even on Comicsology. I think it might be one of their Epic collections. Oh, nice. Yeah. So th- there's a lot of ways to read it. Um, like I said, I read it through Marvel Unlimited, which um, and you can find all the issues there. Um, and so I, I really suggest if you're an X-Men fan and never got to experience this uh, um, Proteus saga, I recommend going back and reading it. But but yeah, um, uh, thank you very much, Jordan, for joining me on this episode for, for this and our start of Chris, the Chris Claremont journey that I'm calling it that we'll probably do more of in, in, the fut- in future uh, episodes. Oh, I would love to do more because yeah. um, I like... 
I really do enjoy Chris Claremont. If uh, there's a bunch of those prompt tweets come around, which artist, which creator uh, has been out there that you always feel attached to, like you read and you, know, you were obsessed with when you first started reading comics. Claremont was one of them. Oh, just a quick thing. You can get the, there's an epic collection of Proteus. It includes uh, all the stuff that we talked about today. Uh-huh. It includes the entire Proteus arc, but also the Magneto fight. Oh, that, 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 and that, and that, that story is another one that we could just talk about uh, so much about. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and there's just like a lot of ways to read it, and there's a lot of cool ways. So yeah, I just um, wanted to yeah. bring that up because I wanted to check yeah. it out. Uh, and it, it's really cool stuff and all that. But yeah, I've always, I would love to do more Claremont discussions because uh, this whole thing, this prep for this podcast got me reading Claremont again after being meaning to for a while. His work is there's a lot of it, and it's as much as I enjoy his work, it is very dense. Yeah. He's a very, very prose heavy writer, and I like that style. I really like the Claremontian narrator, but it can be much. So it ain't like uh, I can sit there and binge like 20 issues of a Bendis comic run in like <laughs> an afternoon because there's it's easy to do, but like a Claremont, I have to read like five issues and I'm done for the day. Like, I'm good. I'm like, and it's not bad, but I'm like, I just can't. I won't be able to retain this if I keep reading it. Yeah, and that's so why we're happens. that's why over this po- the journey of this podcast, we're probably going to do more Chris Claremont exploration of like dark because I do want to tackle stuff like the Dark Phoenix and the Phoenix sagas. Um, just because I would love to be able to tackle the Brood Saga and all that though. Yeah, the era, the era that I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, and but, I was uh, I was a kid of a ninety. I was a nineties kid. Yeah, and then I'm, I'm sure we'll tackle that stuff too because especially with Chris Claremont celebrating his 50th anniversary as a comic book creator this year, um, which uh, more I think Marvel put out a comic book this week um, that is celebrating that. It's just kind of, and they've been slowly celebrating that because I know Chris Claremont has been involved in, he'll be involved in the upcoming X Men Legends uh, comic mm-hmm. book, um, and also he's been writing the Wolverine Red Red uh, uh, Black White and Red comic book as well. Uh-huh. He wrote a story there. That's pretty cool because he was the original, despite not being the original uh, Wolverine creator. He ends up writing the the main Wolverine mini for a while there. Yeah, so so he's doing. It seems like uh, Marvel is uh, celebrating uh, Chris Claremont more like throughout 2021, which is a great thing to see because again, he is one of the guys that defines what you think of Marvel. So it's great to see and just great going back to um, reading this type of story and seeing just how how talented of a writer he was and how 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 great his x-men work was and um even though as complicated as as it becomes it's still it's still a lot of fun to go back and read but but yeah in terms of this podcast um you could always um find us on spotify google uh google podcast and we just got on apple Podcasts, so you can find us like at the backlog journey i'm um, just searching there so it's really exciting that i got approved on, on apple because i had been trying to get there so but we're on there now so you could always find us there and you could Make sure to rate and review us and give us five stars. Um, I, I'm going through all those reviews, um, so make sure you're make sure to give us that those friendly likes of five stars. Um, and yeah, but you could also find my work at comicbookrevolution.com. I'm doing a lot of stuff with future uh, DC's future state right now, um, and you can find those reviews uh, stuff with like touching on the Amazing Spider-Man uh, current arc and other stuff that I'm working on uh, at the at comicbookrevolution.com. And you could also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Kevin L07 and on TikTok at Nerdy Kev. Um, how about you, Jordan? Where where could we find your stuff? Okay, so uh, I've been around a bunch of places, but your best place for me right now is 
extremelyuncanny.com. I just restarted my blog for the first time in uh, several years. I primarily review comics, but I've also been branching off into doing stuff like trading card games like Magic the Gathering and possibly Yu-Gi-Oh! and maybe video games. Just a little bit more stuff there. But it's mostly been comics. Uh, been reviewing more older stuff. Though I'm in, maybe taking a look at new things. Uh, basically trying to break the grind of the new comic review cycle that can be for a comic review where it's pretty rough stuff out there. <laughs> uh, besides finding me at extremelyuncanny.com, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Extremely uncanny, but the uh, spelling's a little weird because Twitter's character limits. So it's at E X T R E M L Y uncanny. Uh, there's no E in the se- there's no second E there. Uh, but you can find me there. And uh, Instagram is at extremely uncanny, but it's all fully spelled out correctly. I do have a TikTok, but there's nothing there, so I'm not going to share that <laughs> out. I'm a lurker. Uh, like like I think like most of us are. Yeah, I'm a lurker there. Uh, but you can find me there on Twitter and on my website. Um, working on some stuff here. Uh, but yeah, that's about where you can find me these days. Um, you can find older, find older reviews if you're looking for that stuff on various websites, but that's neither here nor there at this awesome. point in time. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Jordan, for joining me on this episode of the Backlog Journey podcast. Um, but And I hope everyone has a good night. Y'all do. do. Thank you.